Welcome to the Moz Monthly Podcast. Thorough discussion and in-depth information about the news, stories, and trends related to emergency medical services in Michigan. The Moz Monthly Podcast is brought to you by the Michigan Association of Ambulance Services. Here's your host, Moz Executive Director, Angela Madden. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Episode 2 of Season 2 of the Moz Monthly Podcast. Joining us today is Andrea Abbas from the Michigan Center for Rural Health. For those of you that don't know, the center is one of only three nonprofit state offices of rural health in the country. As Michigan State Office of Rural Health, the center plays a key role in rural health care by assisting in the creation and implementation of partnerships among organizations, health departments, hospitals, government, and academia. Those collaborations and alliances go on to create new opportunities in the areas of network development, quality of care, emergency medical services, continuing education, and recruitment retention of rural healthcare providers. In this episode, we sit down with the Center's EMS Program Manager, Andrea Bass, to discuss the Center's mission and continue to advocate for and advance rural health within our great state. Andrea, how are you today? I'm great. How are you? Good morning. Good morning, and thank you so much for, for joining us today on the, on the Moz Monthly Podcast. So to give everybody a little bit of background, you are, as I mentioned, the EMS Program Manager for the Michigan Center for Rural Health. You also currently work as a provider, and you have your own blog, the EMS Professional. Tell me a little bit about your blog. Yeah, you know, I started my blog many years back. It was, it was just a creative outlet for me. You know, I would write about things that, you know, I just felt were inspirational or something that maybe could help another provider if they were facing the same issue. And I've been writing for a couple of years um, and I just find it as a great creative outlet. It's kind of grown organically on its own. And it's been a a great discussion point when just communicating with stakeholders and and, uh, others in EMS. So like, thanks for asking. Oh, yeah. No, it's, I, I know I follow it. I, I do read. You have some excellent LinkedIn posts mm-hmm. that I make sure I definitely uh, take notice of. So just to kind of fill in for everybody else, you've been working for over 20 years in the EMS industry. You've had roles such as an EMS director, QI, compliance. You've been an educator. You are an educator today. You're a consultant and project manager. You've worked as a field supervisor, an FTO, and of course, you're a licensed paramedic. You've also teach college level biology courses. So I just want to let everybody know in Podcast Nation, you are far smarter than I am. You have a master's degree in molecular biology. I'm even surprised I could pronounce that uh, from Eastern. And you have your national registry certificate, you're an instructor coordinator, and you're also working towards completing your, your community paramedic, your CIP. What don't you do? <laughs> um, well, you know, I'm, I'm really um, dedicated to EMS. It's been something that's been consistent in my life over a long period of time, clearly. I mean, 20 years, you say that, and I'm like, wow, that went by quickly. I'm definitely not smarter than anybody. Um, biology just makes sense to me. It's just one of those things. I'm very process-minded. So, you know, learning something that's really finite, really, uh, I enjoy that. And I think that's why I gravitate towards operations in EMS as well, is I like to look at how things work. I like to fix them, um, and I like to make them better. But yeah, that's, that is my background. I've been very busy. I, I hope, you know, all of this hard work is starting to pay off, and we'll start to... Uh, maybe become a little less busy in certain areas and start to explore other adventures. 
So, but thanks. That's a wonderful introduction. And I appreciate that. I appreciate all the kindness. We appreciate having you on today. So let's, let's get down into business per se and start talking about the real reason why we're here. And that's to talk about rural healthcare and the Michigan Center for Rural Health. For those of us out there, myself included, I'm not overly familiar with this center. Could you give us some background on what the center is, who its leadership is, what it does? So yeah, absolutely. We have a lot of programs through our office and our office is growing every day. So a couple programs that are are present in our office currently, we, we work with critical access hospitals. We work with rural health clinics. We work with workforce programs. We work with the opioid consortium, excuse me. And then there's me, the EMS programs manager. There's also a few others in the office that I'm sure I'm forgetting. I mean, we, we have just a large span of rural health partnerships and we cover just all of the rural health healthcare spectrum. Our leadership, our executive director is John Barnett and our director is Crystal Barter. Those are our two leaders, but you know, our office is, uh, just filled with leaders. And and that's kind of how we function. So, you know, I think John and Crystal would say, oh boy, you know, we're all leaders. So yeah, I mean, we are really centered around partnerships across the spectrum. Our partnerships include uh, health departments, as I said, critical access hospitals. We like to work closely with government entities, um, academic institutions. We have a really great relationship with the Michigan State University, you know, rural health clinics, as I mentioned, and also our, our rural EMS agencies as well. Our mission as an office is to coordinate, plan, and advocate for improved healthcare for Michigan and rural residents and communities. My role in the office is quite new. We are one of only two programs in the nation that has a full-time EMS programs manager. So that's something that we're really proud of. We want to be on the, the front end of rural healthcare when it comes to emergency medical services, and we're really excited about that. That's amazing, Andrea. So I... I just want to kind of circle back. We are one of, Michigan is only one of three state offices of rural health to begin with. And now you're just saying we are only one of two that actually has EMS as a focus within the center's responsibilities and job functions. Yes. And and when I say that, I mean, there are other offices that have folks that um, delve into EMS, but they're not fully dedicated full-time, if that makes sense. Well, I think that's I think that's very important for our listeners to know that the center has placed EMS at that highest level, especially rural EMS at that highest level of importance, and that's fantastic. One thing I've noticed, Andrea, is that the center is has a lot of programs to offer to rural healthcare providers, and particularly, I've noticed that you've put out some webinars that you've been doing that you're going to be planning for rural EMS, and that I believe is a new focus for you. What are some of the other events? that the center has planned or is currently thinking about planning. And it doesn't necessarily have to be for EMS, but how, do, how does that event planning kind of work with the center's mission? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, the EMS webinars are definitely something we're doing. And I would love to talk more about um, our EMS programming as well. But events for the office. So we have a Michigan Rural Health Conference each year. And we bring in speakers from all different programs, all different areas. Um, it could be something that's just innovative. So we offer that once yearly. And then we also offer once yearly a critical access hospital conference as well. And I believe we usually do like spring, fall for those conferences. So each year we host those. And newer to our offerings, we do offer an opioid summit now because we have the Northern Michigan Consortium um, on our team. We have a lot of those team members that are, are really focused in that work. 
So that's also offers once yearly. And then we always make sure to invest a lot of time in National Rural Health Day, which is generally mid-November. This year, National Rural Health Day is November 18th. So we invest a lot of time in advocacy during that time period. So those are the big events. I have the feeling in the future, there's going to be more. We've definitely had some discussions around EMS um, wellness and potentially offering something centered around that. But that would be, you know, in the next couple of years, if we were to do something like that. But yeah, those are those are the programs that we currently offer when it comes to events. I really appreciate you kind of pitching, for lack of a better word, those events, because I think they're extremely important for our rural health care providers in particular. So if you don't mind, let's take a pivot to talk specifically about EMS now. What would the center describe as the current happenings in EMS today? Yeah, absolutely. So I think with the pandemic, you know, we've really seen that our EMS providers and the service that they provide to the community has been highlighted. And with that, it's also brought to light some of the challenging faces facing EMS agencies today, especially rural EMS agencies. You know, we have an ever-increasing scope of practice for EMTs. Um, We have a severe shortage of EMS providers in many areas of the country as well. And we have an increasing demand for ambulance service across the nation. We're seeing rises in call volume. We're seeing projected projections of rising call volume. We know that's going to happen in certain areas. So we're really looking at this as EMS needs a transition. We would like to see EMS fall into an essential service. We would like to see a funding model that supports the cost of readiness and also the cost of service. So we're really looking at that as an office. We're, you know, we're really excited to collaborate with our partnerships and our stakeholders. We would love to see Michigan on on the forefront of this change, but that's really what we're seeing out there with EMS today. I think a lot of people out there in Moz Monthly Podcast Land would absolutely agree with the center's perspective there. And I think a lot of them, and myself included, look forward to partnering with you and trying to find a solution for those particular items. Let's let's dive just a tad bit deeper now. Let's let's get down and dirty. Let's talk about the challenges facing specifically rural EMS here in our state. I know we taught you just kind of gave us some a couple of big picture items that are affecting all EMS agencies around the country, not necessarily just here in our state. But what are some of those very specific items that rural EMS agencies are facing today? And what, if anything, is the center doing right now to help alleviate those challenges? Yeah, absolutely. So in Michigan, I don't So some of these obviously are going to overlap nationally because we know that some of our issues are are definitely not unique to us. But in Michigan, you know, we we face long transport times. With that, you know, long distances make long transport times. We know that those reimbursement rates aren't quite there for some of our, our rural partners. And if you couple that with some of our what we call OB deserts or a lack of OB centers, you're seeing long transport times there. We're seeing closures of critical access hospitals as well, not only around our state, but other states. And if a critical access hospital is to close, that also creates a longer transport time for EMS providers and and just some additional stress on that system. And then also EMS agency closures. I was looking at some statistics the other day and we've had on average yearly five agencies close between 2007 and 2016. 2013 was an especially bad year for us. We had nine close. So when we're looking at rural health care and we're looking at some of the, the challenges in Michigan, you know, taking into account the closure of rural or critical access hospitals, closure of some of our rural agencies, be it volunteer, paid or combination, 
And then we've got some OB care. Um, I don't want to be too overt and say desert, but that's the word that comes to mind. You know, when we're having to transport mom three hours, um, that could be really challenging. So the center, what we, how we fill that niche is we provide education, we provide training. So for example, you know, we do some OB education and training. So our providers are better prepared. Um, Crystal Barter works really closely with critical access hospitals. Um, We also have Jeff in our office, which is our financial analyst. He works with them as well, supporting them in that realm. So we want to make our agencies that are still open more sustainable, and and we provide that support. And and for me, one of my duties is to provide sustainability support to our rural EMS agencies. So being able to bring some of that expert knowledge in and help them become more sustainable. And if they're facing challenges, our office is here to support them. And if there's something that we can't provide, we really value our stakeholders and partnerships that we can bring into the mix to support them. So keeping their doors open, keeping them healthy, getting them the resources that they need so we're not facing these long transport times and creating the risk that goes along with that and also creating a more efficient system. So that's that's one challenge that we're facing in Michigan in EMS. To no surprise, I could sing this out loud and anybody listening to the podcast would sing along a decline in staffing and complexities, right? That are associated not only with um, non-volunteerism, but also with volunteerism. So when we look at the rural landscape, we have to remember that we have this combination out there. And, you know, looking at recruitment and retention in a corporate entity versus a rural landscape is vastly different. So that's challenging for our office as well. Um, And oftentimes I have to keep in mind that even though I've worked in rural systems, I've never worked in a volunteer market. So I really learned from some of our providers and agency leaders and stakeholders, what's that, what is that truly like? So we are always um, keeping an open mind to volunteerism, but we all know there's a decline in staffing. Um, and so our office is really looking at that and um, looking at, okay, what's behind recruitment and retention? How can we engage volunteerism? And personally, as a professional, I've questioned, is volunteerism feasible in the future? Or do we need to start shifting that mindset? Maybe volunteerism isn't going to be feasible just with the increased cost of living and the inability to leave an employer, you know, midday and present day in some of the communities. That also is something we're looking at. And, you know, we want to be part of that conversation in Michigan and, and help in any way we can with, with staffing needs. The in, insufficient payment model, again, you know, looking at how can we go beyond a fee for service and look at the cost of readiness and get our communities engaged in understanding that this is an essential service and it needs to be funded that way. So we're really happy to advocate for that through the office and support our EMS agencies in any way to get that word out to their communities. So if, for example, a rural EMS agency is really struggling with delivering that message, one of the things that we're really focused on is, okay, let us help you tell the story. Because storytelling is really important, especially in a community. And then, you know, the lack of data so this is something, you know, I was, I was really thinking about things and starting to think about, well, what are some of our problems in Michigan? And the reason this came up for me is it wasn't something I was necessarily thinking about until I tried to sit down and do some research, right? And then you're like, holy cow, it's really hard to get workforce data. It's really hard to get burnout data. There's some national sources, but when it comes to really local great data. I think we're really starting to look at that as a state 
And I just found that there's a big, not only disparity, but just a, an absence of some of the data, especially in rural communities. So I'd really like to see that change. I think that is something that is definitely a challenge for us. And then the cost of training and education in rural systems. Another thing that I was not aware of, you know, I, I worked in systems where I could go into the system and I could commit and get free education and work for that EMS agency. And what I've learned is that not all systems are created equally. Um, in the Upper Peninsula, the funding is not there to go into even the larger systems and sit down in a classroom and be paid for your time, be paid to, to acquire your education. Whereas downstate, a lot of places offer this service and it really draws providers in. So looking at that and how we can solve some of those problems, whether it be through federal funding, grant funding, or hopefully a transition in just the model that we have today, I think that would be a great asset to our rural communities if we could provide the cost of training and education to them so we could then recruit and potentially retain providers. So those are some of the challenges that come to my mind when I think about the center and I think about Michigan. Thank you so much for that. And as, a, as an aside, as I was scribbling over here, data access was one right, yes. right there. Yes. Huge, huge piece. Something that I'm trying to wrap my head around right now, too. How do we get better data? Thanks so much for that, Andrea. You covered a swelf of information. A number of those items overlap a little bit into the larger systems, and you have already pointed that out. Does the center's mission allow it to work on behalf of non-rural EMS agencies as well? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that we're really, we really like to keep an open mind to and we're, we're cognizant of is, for example, our EMS webinars or our workshops. We don't close off our offerings to suburban and urban folks. And the reason we don't, we don't necessarily do that is because we want to be sure that we're reaching all of Michigan and we do find value in offering education to everyone. I will say, though, that when we do, our funding is geared towards rural, so we will watch those numbers. And we like to stay above 70% with any offering to ensure that we're reaching the rural community. But it, with any workshop or webinar, you know, if there's space left and we're not, we're not facing a wait list or something of that nature, we are always open to suburban and urban, and we always have a mix of those folks within our education because we realize we may be offering something that's not offered that year. And so we want to be sure that we're supporting our partnerships and stakeholders. And we're, we're really a collaborative mind. So yes, we like to reach our rural providers and we do, we do monitor that. But no, we do not close our offerings, our education offerings off to anybody that's outside of rural. Excellent. And with that, you have now a couple of times throughout our discussion mentioned your work and your collaboration with stakeholders. And I would like to particularly touch on your representation on the EMSCC, for example, the Emergency Medical Services Coordination Committee. You are new to the committee, and that was a position that the EMS office felt extremely important to have that rural voice on the statewide committee. So can you talk a little bit about your role on the committee and what do you feel you bring to that particular advisory committee? Yeah, absolutely. So, and as an office, we are honored to be able to sit on that committee. Um, we find it extremely valuable, you know, being, being part of that committee and being able to come together and not only network and hear all of the information that's going on, I think is, is extremely valuable, but bringing the rule of voice is, is also 
extremely valuable as well. Um, so when it comes to the EMSCC and the rule of voice, I work very closely with Gary Wadiga. So Gary Wadiga, I almost view as our voice. So he's the one that, you know, when, when the rule when the rule committee reports off, he's the one that's, that's reporting off the information. But I, I really sit with the mindset that I'm working with Gary. I'm supporting Gary's initiatives. Um, and obviously, I'm representing the rural landscape. But Gary also represents it very well. So we really work as a team there. When it comes to the EMSCC, um, a lot of times I'm just there to offer, you know, hey, here's a workshop. Here's, here's some education that we're doing. And thankfully, we're able to use the Wednesday updates and things of that nature to communicate a lot of that. But I view my position as a representation of rule, but I really view that as also really working really closely with Gary and representing the rural EMSCC at the EMSCC meetings. So it's great to collect the information and be able to have a voice on the committee if we are you know, discussing an issue and being able to chime in or offer some knowledge. That's really, really a great opportunity. You know, from my perspective, it has given us an opportunity to increase our networking, like you've mentioned, uh, as Moz has representatives on the EMSCC as well. Uh, And today we're sitting down and having this great podcast discussion, and and we've been able to continue our collaboration organization to organization as well. And I know I have found that extremely beneficial. Talk a little bit about some of some of the other collaborations that you have either worked to institute or are in the process of instituting as well. Well, thank you. I echo that sentiment. Um, we're really excited to be working closely with Moz, and I'm excited that our relationship and our collaboration is just continues to grow. We are also working really closely with MIREM, the Michigan Rural EMS Network. Leslie Hall and, and I have been uh, creating that relationship and collaborating. She's been wonderful. So we're excited as we move forward to work on projects with them and collaborate. And of course, BETP, you know, they are one of our board members. We work really closely with that office. You know, I have a heart for their office. Many of the folks in the office, I won't name any names, but are either previous coworkers or part of my alma mater. So they've just got some great people there, but we work really closely with them and, and really they're a support system for us. They provide just an incredible wealth of resources and knowledge. So that's a great partnership as well. And then, you know, the last partnership that I want to mention is, um, and this is something I had to learn coming into this role, you know, when you're an EMS provider, or even an administrator in an EMS agency, you're kind of housed inside your agency and you focus on, on making and creating relationships inside. But unless you're, you know, the CEO or the VP and you're out and about, you, you I didn't learn to, to think about, you know, networking and making those great relationships. And And part of this role that I'm learning is, you know, it's all about getting to know all of our rural EMS agencies. So I'm really excited about getting to know our rural EMS leaders, you know, through like our leadership academies and our workshops. I'm meeting some of our rural EMS directors and leaders. And we have some really, really great, engaged, bright, just driven rural EMS leaders right now. And so we're really excited to cultivate those teams and collaborations and just get to know those folks on a deeper level. So I would view that also as a partnership and collaboration as well. Andrea, we've talked a lot about the center's role in programming and your particular role within the center, the collaborations, the partnerships that you've created, the work you do on behalf of rural rural EMS agencies. Let's talk about the heart and soul of those EMS agencies. And that is 
its workforce. Every single day, our paramedics, our EMTs, our MFRs, they go out, they do their job, they do their job with every uh, everything that they can. How would you describe the importance of the EMS workforce today, not just here in our state, but nationwide? Yeah, that's a really uh, good question and a big question and something I'm extremely passionate about. Everything is going to come back to people. And, you know, it sounds like this big CEO spiel that I stole from someone else, but I think the pandemic really exposed that for us. You know, if you weren't people focused before the pandemic, the pandemic hits, it just, it's exposed everything within your organization. And if there's one thing I could say to our leaders out there is, are you self-aware of who's telling the story? Are you self-aware of whether or not your people feel safe enough to speak up? Are you self-aware of whether they truly are getting what they need? With the pandemic and everything starting to kind of, I want to say it's starting to get better um, with vaccines and, and <clears throat> the numbers, excuse me, on a decline. But what I've, I've, I've started to kind of see and just when I listen to discussions with workforce, because, you know, you can't get in an ambulance with me and not have a deep conversation. And oftentimes it starts with, you know, how are you feeling or what do you think about this? And we get really deep. Um, but what I hear a lot is this agency doesn't care about me or, you know, I, I just had a child and I'm really struggling with daycare and I, I, I had to call off three times or, you know, I had COVID and I was really scared and I didn't feel supported. And of course, there's some positivity out there as well, you know, where folks do feel supported. But I think when you look at it from a different lens and you start looking at your people from different perspectives, the single parent the, the employee that lost a parent to COVID, you know, um, it, it really comes back to knowing your people and giving them what they need. Call volume, I think, has been a big issue lately. And you have to always remember, you know, when you take an ambulance and a provider that's exposed to three calls a day and they're traumatic, and you up that to 12 traumatic calls a day, which we know oftentimes not every shift is traumatic, right? You're going to have inner facility and things of that nature, but you're increasing that exposure. And over time, that's going to have a ripple effect. It's going to affect people. And we're not really great about talking about things. You know, we want to put the uniform on, we want to armor up and, you know, it doesn't all fall apart until we come home. But I think we really need to dig deep. And, and when we're looking at whether it's a rural, suburban or urban landscape, whether it's a corporate or not corporate or for-profit or, or whatever it is type of agency, there needs to be a space to talk about people and what we're doing for our people and how we're supporting our people. And we also, I would love to see more data around retention. How many people are we retaining? When people leave, are we having the conversation? If we're not having the conversation, why aren't we doing it? All of those things I think will make our industry better and pour back into our industry and really help with retention. So I know I've gone down a rabbit hole and I could continue down this rabbit hole for a very long time, um, but I think that's a good start to how I feel about recruitment and retention and some of the efforts we're doing through the center to support our agencies to highlight some of these issues so our agencies can, can highlight them within and really be able to bring people in and keep them there and support them. I think that sounds like a great topic for a future podcast, Andrea. <laughs> Let's circle back to the center now. What are the center's priorities for 2021? Is there anything new? Is there anything different? Yeah, so we actually do strategic planning. So we, we just wrapped up our strategic planning. And so our, our priorities for 2021, when it comes to EMS, 
advocacy. So we're, we're, looking, we're really looking at how we can advocate, whether it means writing um, some blog posts and sharing them with the community, whether it means reaching our legislators, whatever that may be, we wanna be active in advocacy. So informing our communities, our stakeholders, legislators. And then sustainability initiatives, we're, we're, um, we're committed to that. We want to offer workshops that help. We want to offer training and education that help in the sustainability area. And then we also offer consulting services. You know, if there is something, if you find yourself in a crisis and you feel like your doors are going to close, you can reach out to the center. Everything is confidential. If there's something that I can't handle personally, internally, we have other folks that we can bring into the mix that can help with sustainability and, and looking at the big picture and being able to help you do an assessment and understand how you, you can actually fix some of those issues. And then the third priority for 2021 is recruitment and retention. So bringing that conversation to the table, even bringing in, so obviously education and training is available and we'll be continuing to roll that out, but also bringing in some of that provider wellness and talking about, you know, how can we make sure our workforce is healthy? Because that also ties right into retention. And then something also that our center embarked on that's new and exciting is we did expand into the Upper Peninsula. So now we have a new director. Her name is Elise Burr. She's amazing. She is the director of Northern Michigan Center for Rural Health. So we now have a, a satellite office up in the Upper Peninsula in Marquette. That's fantastic. And I, I think that would be extremely helpful to our providers up there, to the rural health community in particular um, in the UP. And it's it's great that you are able to have a satellite office and a, and a physical presence um, up in the UP. I always like to ask on the podcast kind of one question that may either be controversial or a little whimsical, something like that. So my question for you today, if you could pick one thing, snap your fingers and have it immediately change the EMS industry as we know it right now, what would it be and why? Yeah, great question. So for me, it would be that we would have developed EMS as an essential service with the career ladder in healthcare infrastructure. So, you know, EMS is not a stepping stone and it should be not be funded as a stepping stone. So my wish would be we would go back and we would have just designed it from the beginning in a different way where it is essential. Let's dive into that just a tad bit. I'm not going to let you off the hook. Let's talk <laughs> about let's talk about that current career ladder that EMS is is being used for and how it can be beneficial and detrimental to the industry at the same time. Mm-hmm. So the the career ladder I believe you are referring to is you get someone trained as a paramedic, they work the road for a little bit and then they're stolen away usually by a hospital or nursing school, PA school, something that has a little bit better schedule and potentially better pay. How would you respond to that? Yeah. So you bring up some very valid points and you're right. It does happen all the time. Right. You know, and I personally had to face some of those challenges just in like I inherited a senior dog and I had to get a different schedule um, and my eyes wandered. So I think with that, I, I would like to say when it comes to the career ladder itself, and I know this word has been overused, but we need to start pivoting. Right. So we need to start looking at, okay, if we're going to retain folks and I know those listening on the other end are going to go, oh, okay, sure. Yeah. You, you bring me that funding and I'll make that happen. So let's just leave funding alone for right now. But the eight hour schedule, the 10 hour schedule, again, the single parent, the older paramedic that's in their fifties. Okay. We need our workforce to stay. And, 
And a lot of the 50 year old plus folks that I've had conversations with, they still love their job. They still want to stay, but they need more of that friendly schedule as well. So looking at different, offering different schedules. But the other thing is the mobility to progress within an agency, the succession planning, having that conversation early. You see someone bright and young and driven that talks about running an agency or talks about wanting to be in leadership, start having that conversation, set them up with a mentor, but also create those steps within the agency. Can you go from a field provider to a field training officer? Great. No, it should not um, be not funded. So you should get a raise. You should, you know, get your tag. You should have more responsibility. You should be learning as an educator and leader. And then continuing from there, STO to supervisor, you know, supervisor to what's next? Quality assurance. Is it, is it a director? Is it VP? But having that hierarchy built into an organization where you're not only getting a, an increased knowledge base, but you're also getting increased pay as you progress um, and being open to having those conversations early with folks. So they know, Hey, you know, I'm part of this, this organization, I'm part of the succession planning or, Hey, I'm a field training officer. I got a raise last week to do this. I'm getting paid extra to do extra work. I get to go to these great meetings. I get to do this cool continuing education. I think those things would create a career ladder within. And then even as we become more integrated, bringing in critical care. I mean, we have ambulance agencies that have flight networks connected to them. What if we continue to integrate into hospital systems? Maybe there will be some, some overlap there that will create some, some career ladder opportunities as well, where it won't be, hey, you know, you're going to take my employee or not take it. Maybe it's integrated. Ooh, and the last thing I want to mention is community paramedicine. So there's some differing opinions. I'm excited about community paramedicine, especially in rural landscapes, because it is going to fill a healthcare gap. It's going to create an efficiency within a rural landscape that is going to, in the end, I truly believe, create some cost savings, but also another career ladder step for someone who really loves that eight or 10 hour schedule. Maybe they they have arthritis and they're in their 50s, but they still want to take care of people. That's a great way to transition into an EMS role. So I think that career ladder, really, we're at the forefront of being able to build it. And we it's just a matter of looking at it and saying, okay, how can we do this? And of course, it's not going to happen overnight. And yes, it, it does require funding. And hey, it also requires staff. I totally get it. But I think those, especially in com- competitive markets, that want to retain and attract, these are going to be huge. These roles are going to be huge to be able to offer that those little career ladder steps with increasing responsibility and pay. Andrea, that is a great way to, to begin our wrap up for today's episode of the Moz Monthly Podcast. One thing I, I always like to give my guests the opportunity to fill in any blanks, to provide any final comments, questions, concerns, anything you have the floor, it's open to you. Well, thank you. I, you know, I feel like I've, I've, I've said enough. I hope it, it, it at a minimum sparks some, some grand dreams in, in the listener's minds. And, and I think as long as we keep an open mind and keep dreaming, I think that things, things can happen. And I think big things can happen. And as for the center, I mean, you know, don't hesitate to reach out to us if there's anything we can assist with in the healthcare community. You know, we're here for you and, and we are, are far beyond EMS. So if there's another project or there's another stakeholder community member listening, please don't hesitate to reach out. 
Thank you, Andrea. And I will have all of the contact information for the Michigan Center for Rural Health in today's show notes. I do want to say thank you so much for joining us today. Andrea Abbas, the EMS Program Manager for the Michigan Center for Rural Health. This has been today's episode. You can find us anywhere you get your podcasts. Andrea, thanks again. And everybody have a great day. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Moz Monthly Podcast, the go-to source for information about Michigan's EMS system. Be sure to visit miambulance.org slash podcast to join the conversation and access other important information from the Michigan Association of Ambulance Services.